Well, good evening. Aren't you glad you're inside in the AC? Be, could be worse if we're... There's times when it's been so nice out there, and I'm, I'm like, man, it'd be nice to do an outdoor service. You know, when we were over in Israel, we did all these services outdoors, and the view was beautiful, and of course, we were there at the time that it was, the weather was just fantastic. It was like that 75 degrees during the day of no humidity, but uh, this definitely is not like that out there. Uh, this is like, this is like Atlanta in the summer. Um, but good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Uh, we don't have any catch-up to do like we did last week, so if you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 10, um, nothing in the way of announcements except for if you work in the children's ministry, we have a brief 30-minute meeting. I'll be leading the meeting, then uh, we'll have uh, the other leadership will be involved. But just kind of want to go over uh, what we're doing now, launching Children's Church starting June 29th. And uh, I looked at the schedule today. For those of you, did anyone get the schedule? The Christian sent it out. If you did look at it, you'll notice you have nine weeks off in between serving. That's worth praising thank you the Lord for. You know, I know that some of you know that there was not a nine-week gap there. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, some of the teachers that I've talked to are excited about it. The kids are excited about it. So we're going to talk about those things on Sunday. Um, so they're going to have a mini little sanctuary like we have up here, and there's going to be things geared towards them. But uh, for those that serve in the ages 6 to 12, there'll be nine-week gaps between uh, serving down there and then being able to come up here and worship and be ministered to by the Word and, and then uh, go back down there refreshed. And that's not counting people. We've all already had some people say they're interested in serving, so that, that can play into it too. Then the big problem we'll have into is one day when our children's ministry is so big there's not enough rooms down there, which will be another. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Amen. But uh, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 10. We'll start uh, with verse 1. I'm reading all 22 verses. Uh, if you're with us, the um, prophet Ezekiel is still uh, in the temple. The Lord has transported him there, uh, and he's still there seeing these things that uh, are not, um, they're not just uh, visions. He's actually been brought there, literally seeing what's taking place. Although now, uh, we pick it up with chapter 10, we see uh, the angelic uh, cherubim that he saw earlier re-enter the scene. So let's start with verse 1. And I looked, and there in the firmament, there was above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like a sapphire stone, having the appearance of the likeness of a throne. Then he spoke to the man clothed with linen and said, Go in among the wheels under the cherub. Fill your hands with coals of fire from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And he went in as I watched. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard, even in the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty, or Almighty God, when he speaks. Then it happened when he commanded the man clothed the linen, saying, Take fire from among the wheels, from among the cherubim, that he went in and stood beside the wheels. 
And the cherubim stretched out his hand from among the cherubim, uh, stretched, sorry, and the cherub stretched out his hand from among the cherubim to the fire that was among the cherubim, and took some of it and put it into the hands of the man clothed with linen, who took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand under their wings. And when I looked, there were four wheels by the cherubim, one wheel by the cherub and another wheel by another cherub. The wheels appeared to have the color of barrel stone. As for their parents, all four looked alike, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went toward any of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went, but followed in the direction the head was facing. They did not turn aside when they went, and their whole body with their back, their hands, their wings, and the wheels that the four hands had were full of eyes all around. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing, wheel. Each one, notice it's uh, not plural there, singular, wheel. Each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. And the cherubim were lifted up. This was the living creature that I saw by the river Chabar. When the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. When the cherubim lifted their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also did not turn from beside them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheel stood still. And when one was lifted up, the other lifted itself up. And the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted their wings and they mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels were beside them. They stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the Lord God of Israel was above them. This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Chabar, and I knew they were cherubim. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings, and the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings, and the likeness of their faces was the same as the faces which I had seen by the river Chabar, their appearance and their persons. They each went straight forward. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us even again tonight. Lord, as we think about Israel and their turning away from you and the judgment that is coming as we see revealed to your prophet Ezekiel, Lord, we're reminded that in our own nation, as we have turned away from you, surely judgment will also come unless we turn back. And we pray uh, even again tonight that we would see revival. It would take place First in the house of God, Lord, that you'd fill your church with disciples surrendered and dedicated to you. And Lord, that we'd make other disciples. And Lord, we'd see uh, not only our churches revived with the power of the Holy Spirit, but Lord, we'd see sinners turning from, uh, Lord, certain judgment and turning to the grace and the mercy of the cross. Lord, it's so needed in our na nation, needed in government, needed in business, needed in every uh, Lord, aspect of this country. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring it about and you would use us in just the simplicity of your people serving sincerely. Lord, being people of prayer and Lord, just uh, knowing that apart from you, we can do nothing. We pray that you just bless this Bible study tonight in a powerful way in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, I've titled our time in God's Word tonight, The Glory departs. The glory departs, and we'll look at three things from the text tonight. The fire, the fortress, and the full departure. The fire, the fortress, and the full departure. But let's, a little bit of backdrop as we take a look 
here. Remember Ezekiel in the 8th chapter. Uh, he's carried by the Lord from Babylon over to the temple, and he sees in lifetime, if you will, again, not the future, but he sees the abominations, the idolatry that's taking place in the temple, the temple that God had ordained, built by Solomon, consecrated to uh, the holiness of the Lord, had been turned into a place of jealousy for the Lord, that uh, these idols that have been set up, worshiping the sun, worshiping Tammuz, worshiping this image, worshiping creatures, uh, all of these things that were taking place, uh, although it was in the temple, it was representative of the nation as a whole, had completely turned its back. Though there were a few, and there's always a remnant, remember a few that sighed over the abominations, and they were actually, in the ninth chapter, we saw that they were marked by a man in linen, and they were marked on the forehead for protection that God said, when the judgment comes, they will be spared. So the few, there's always a few, the few that remain true to the Lord and weep over the, uh, the abominations of the country, weep over the sins, pray over these things, pray for revival, as I hope that you do for our own nation, God says, them, mark for protection. They may seem insignificant. No one else may know the mark because they wouldn't. Uh, this is only a mark that God can see. And they would be protected. And so in the ninth chapter, we see uh, not only the protection given to those that were faithful, uh, but Ezekiel then sees into the future. In the ninth chapter, uh, he's taken, he's really all in the same place, but all of a sudden he sees the future unfold there, and he sees even, remember the men that were worshiping the sun, they're slaughtered in the temple. He sees the uh, angels, remember they had their battle axes in hand. They're sent out to do uh, the destruction that the Lord has given them. Remember in the 11th verse, the very final verse of the ninth chapter, uh, the angel reports back, just then the man clothed with linen, with the inkhorn at his side, I have done as you commanded me. So they are commanded to go forth in judgment, and Ezekiel witnesses this. And remember, he, he's distraught about it. He sees his city uh, being destroyed, and he knows that God is behind it. And that we saw that they came out of the north, the same direction that the Babylonian army would come out of the north, and some of the worst of the idolatry was on the north side of the temple. All of these things we looked at last week. Well, now as he has seen this, uh, the angels, the man with the white linen, with the inkhorn, the, man, the, the, the distinguished angel that some believe perhaps uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and very well could be. I, I said again, I, I tend to think it was a, a high angel, but there is certainly the possibility uh, that this is none other than Christ himself. Uh, but if not, we know it's a high-ranking angel, perhaps even Michael, we don't know. But he does see, now in chapter 10, in verse 1, he looks up, and there the firmament, he sees a throne. Remember, he saw a throne back in chapter 1. Uh, and I do believe that whenever we see uh, this throne, we clearly have an indication uh, that heaven is coming down uh, to uh, earth. And so Ezekiel looks up, and he sees the man clothed in linen, uh, which is another reason why you could possibly think here with the throne now, uh, is this the Lord Jesus himself? Uh, we've got the throne there. We know we have the glory and the presence of the Lord. Uh, but 
We just don't know. We know that we have a description of the Lord's glory. The same, I'm not going to spend the time tonight on the cherubim. We did, if you want to hear that, go back. It's on the website. Listen to chapter one. I went through all of the angels, all the cherubim. We did all that. Uh, and he's seen the same wheel within a wheel, all of these things. What he's describing is that the same power and glory of God that came down on the, uh, the day when he turned 30, back there in chapter 1, this is the same presence of God has come back. And he is seeing these same angelic beings. But not just them, he sees the addition of some of these other, the avenging angels are also there. So it's actually a bigger group of angels. He sees the ones that have come back down with the Lord. And he also has the ones that were there uh, to perform judgment, the man with the inkhorn, all of these are taking place. And so he's now seeing this convergence of the glory of the Lord, but he's about to see the glory of the Lord depart. And so the temple, which in the Holy of Holies, has always been the place where the Lord would reside, as we talked about in the past, uh, you've got the Holy of Holies, and inside is the Ark of the Covenant. And there, where the cherubim's wings touch, is the presence of God. Now, God is everywhere. <laughs> He's not only in the Holy of Holies. But for whatever reason, God chooses to manifest His glory in that place. And it was unique of any place on earth. There was no place, there's never been a place, like the Holy of Holies that's built on earth, that God himself said, you know, once a year when the high priest comes in on that day of atonement, and remember the high priest could not come in with any sin. He better make sure everything was confessed. But that was the place where the Lord would meet during Yom Kippur or uh, that day of atonement. And all this time, the Lord has been present, but something's about to change and it's going to be significant and it's going to be very sad for Israel and certainly for Ezekiel to witness this. But let's look at what, after he notices that obviously the throne of the Lord has come back down, uh, he's seen these same creatures, he knows that something, something significant is taking place here, but he doesn't know what he's going to see next. He knows that the temple is going to be destroyed, and what he's going to see is the glory of the Lord departing. But before he sees that, Let's take a look at the fire. In verse 2, go in among the wheels. He, capital H-E, the Lord is speaking. And whenever the Lord is speaking here, you know, we've got the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. It appears that the voice is the voice of God Almighty, the Father, right? But we potentially have uh, visibly the Son. We don't know for certain and certainly the Spirit is present. So wherever, one thing to know about the Trinity, Jesus is present here. <laughs> wherever the Father is, so is the Son and the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit is, so is the Father and the Son. And wherever the, uh, the Son is, so is the Spirit and the Father. All three are always together, but that you may not see all three pictured, but you can be assured that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all together. But it's the voice of the three in one, the God Almighty Himself that speaks and says, Go in among the wheels, fill your hands with coals of fire from among the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. 
Turn with me for just a second. Back to uh, take a left-hand turn. Go back to Isaiah chapter six. We want to look at Isaiah, and he also sees some coals. He experiences firsthand. And also some angels are involved as well. In his case, seraphim. And in Ezekiel's case, cherubim. Two different types of angels. Both involved in giving God glory. But starting in verse 1 of chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Here we see a throne again. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet. With two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Not just the holy of holies, but the whole of earth is filled with his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, as we would all say, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. This is a great prophet of the Lord. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. So with this hot, fiery coal, you can go back to Ezekiel 10, with this hot, fiery coal, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Isaiah, Isaiah recognizes in the holy presence of the Lord just how flawed he was. If you and I were in the same place that these men were, we also would see ourselves as very undone. We would think of all the things we shouldn't have said that day, all the thoughts that ran into our mind that uh, weren't of the Lord, that were just of ourselves. Maybe they were covetous. Maybe they were selfish. You know, maybe they were complaining. All of these things. But and eventually, a lot of that stuff comes out of our lips. And God's not fooled when we say things that, oh, I wasn't complaining. He knows better. But the Lord takes one of these fiery coals and really cool, you know, if you and I got a real fiery coal in our mouth, it wouldn't be a good thing. Can you imagine taking a lump of, you know, Kingsford hot burning coal and plopping it in your mouth? You'd never taste food again. But God's coal, even though it's red hot fiery coal, it only burned away sin. It did not burn Isaiah's flesh. Now I know this in the supernatural realm, all of that, but there's something there for us to understand as well, that God is always in the business of getting rid of the junk in our life, not destroying us. And so this fire in Isaiah chapter 6, in Isaiah's encounter with the Lord's glory, he received a cleansing. He goes on, if you read further in that chapter, which we won't, 
due to time, he receives a calling from the Lord. Not just, uh, not just does he receive this cleansing, but he's also called to be a voice of the Lord, just like Ezekiel's called to be a voice, just like Jeremiah's called to be a voice, just like in the New Testament, John the Baptist will be called to be a voice crying in the wilderness. He receives a cleansing, but he also receives a calling. And by the way, you and I, before we can fulfill our calling, we need a cleansing, always. We need to be cleansed before we go to work tomorrow. We need to be cleansed before you work with the kids tomorrow. You need to be cleansed because you can't really fulfill your calling, nor can I, unless we're cleansed. We need that coal every morning to retouch our lips, to retouch our heart, to retouch our minds. The Romans talks about renewing our minds daily. It's important that we actually have that uh, cleansing. But if you've been with us, you know that Isaiah was the prophet that prophesied of the judgment coming to Judah long before Ezekiel did, long before Jeremiah did, uh, two contemporaries, although Ezekiel being the younger of the two. But how sad it is that this coal, or these coals plural in, in Ezekiel chapter 10, where the angel scoops up a handful of them and then now begins to throw them out over the city of Jerusalem. How sad that the same coals of fire the holiness of God, that could have purified and cleansed the city and the temple where all this idolatry was taking place, God would have taken those same coals and cleansed. But instead, the people now, because of their own stubbornness and rebellion, these coals would be poured out as wrath and judgment, not cleansing not purification. In Job chapter 23, verse 10, it says, but he knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You and I are tested by the Lord. In 1 Peter 1, 7, it says that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found of the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the Lord compares us to gold going through his purifying fire. But those of you that have gold rings, you know that when gold is put under a lot of heat, all those impurities come out, and you actually have a precious metal. Gold will stand up to the fire. It doesn't go away. It'll go into liquid form, but it'll come back into a hardened form even more beautiful when the process is done. Now, you and I, going through those things, it's not a fun process. It's a difficult thing. Tested, yet is by fire. But when we come through it, that our faith is more precious than gold. A few years ago, I was uh, in Detroit on a business trip back uh, when I was bivocational pastor. And uh, we had the chance while I was up there, one of the clients that I was with, we toured the Ford motor rouge plant where they build the f-150s I, I love that kind of stuff so i and i was all over it you know we were going through the plant and the 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 general manager who um i, don't, I think he was managing i can't remember how many employees were there i think it was a thousand ford employees uh were there but it was once one of the largest facilities of its kind in the world and state-of-the-art and watching a ford truck go from not being a truck to becoming a truck 
you start out, you know, we're in this theater where Henry Ford, they start with, you know, the, story, the life story of Henry Ford and how he would, uh, he'd bring the steel up, up uh, the Great Lakes on these barges and they would take the raw materials and he built everything there. They would melt it all there. They would turn it into fabricate it into you know, the, the panels that would go on doors. Now, this was way back when they were building Model T's and all that stuff. They don't do that today. Today, you have semi-trucks and rail cars that would bring in rods of steel, or, or actually, I think what they had there was further other parts of Michigan. The t different pieces were prefabricated. But what I found fascinating is through the process, you have all of these things that at one time would look like dirt or rock in a mountain. Or, for, you know, the tires are made of rubber that at one time are in trees in the Amazon. And all this comes together and out comes a beautiful glistening cab, you know, four-door uh, four cab F-150. And you look at that process and there's sparks flying and drills and all these things, but out of it, something comes out of it that didn't look anything like what it comes in. And I think of uh, us, when the Lord takes us, we're a bunch of raw materials. And a lot of it, in content, there's intense heat, there's burning things away, God shaping us, God molding us, and willingly, if we are submitted, the Lord will do a great work with us. But part of that is that purifying fire that bends steel that shapes things, that things become pliable. And you and I become pliable when we're surrendered to the Lord. Israel was not pliable. They were anything but. The Lord called them stiff-necked. They refused to uh, surrender to the Lord. Instead, they surrendered to their own desires and worshiped gods that were no gods at all. When Moses first heard the voice of the Lord, Remember, he saw the Lord when he first heard the Lord's voice saying his name, Moses. He turns and he sees the Lord as what? A flame of fire. And yet, what he saw was a flame of fire that was not consuming a rather nondescript bush. Not a majestic sequoia. Not some beautiful tree. Not one of the cedars of Lebanon. Not a beautiful palm tree a bush, a desert bush. And he sees this flame of fire, but the bush is not consumed. See, the bush, it was much like Moses himself, and much like you and I, nondescript, nothing special. There's really no, I hate to tell you this, there's nothing special about any of us. The Bible says we're made of the dust of the earth. That's what we're made of. There's nothing special about us, but the Lord can make us into something special. But I mean, in and of ourselves, we're the nondescript bush. But the bush wasn't being consumed. And when we yield to God's authority, when we yield to His holiness, when we yield to His love, aren't you thankful for His love? Uh, he comes upon us and He comes in us, but not to consume us. But that His fire would radiate from us. That people would see His light emanate from our lives. You remember at Pentecost, he comes upon 120 believers with fire from heaven. And that fire from heaven that fell on Pentecost still burns to today. We're still, we're still the burning embers from all the way back there with the Holy Spirit being poured out. The, the point is this. The Lord, 
fire is mentioned all throughout Scripture. And everyone is going to encounter the fire of God. Let me make that clear. Every single person that has ever or will ever be born will encounter the fire of God. The question is, in what form and where? Everyone's going to encounter the fire of God. The fire of God is either a cleansing fire or a consuming fire. Cleansing fire for those that surrender to the Lord, consuming fire for those that refuse the Lord. Um, you know those forest fires that break out out west that, that just all of a sudden you see on the TV that they have burned thousands of acres, square miles and things, and they, you see them raging above the high pine forest trees and just, just blowing over top of mountains and entire areas. Uh, the, uh, those that are trained to, as firefighters to fight those wildfires, when they encounter a wall, all of a sudden they have one of those walls of fire that's coming so fast there's no time to, there's no time to escape. There's no escape route. The wall is coming too fast, it's too hot, or the wind is blowing it at such a high rate. What they're told to do at that point, it's coming that fast, coming that just raging furnace, they can't outrun it. They're instructed to lay down and they have fire protective gear for those massive walls of fire, which if you remember, was it last summer or maybe the summer before, some, some of the guys in Arizona their gear didn't even hold up to that, and a lot of times it does, but they're told to lay down and put it all over them and let it roll over the top. Trying to stand up and fight against that wall of fire with a fire hose is suicide. It, it, would, it doesn't make, it'll be evaporated before the water even goes in, but they have to lay down. And you know, you and I, when we understand that God is an immovable object, we're better off to lay down and let him come over us. And when he does, it'll be in mercy. But if we decide, no, 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 like Israel, we're not going to listen to anything you say. We're going to do it our own way. He sent prophet, he sent prophet, he sent prophet, he sent message, he sent grace, and yet they refused. In our study last week, the angels... Uh, that were sent for judgment, remember where they gathered first. They gathered where? At the brazen altar, where the sacrifices were consumed by what? Consumed by fire. And this fire would daily consume the sacrifices for sin. See, the Lord was always willing to cleanse and burn away the sin and the filth, but Judah just kept ignoring all the pleading, ignoring all the warning. Didn't even believe that people like Jeremiah were even speaking on behalf of the Lord. You don't know what you're talking about. We're doing great. Can't you tell? I mean, I, I, one, one person, maybe one of the princes or one of the people that are doing well saying, I just got a raise. How could things possibly go wrong? I'm doing better than ever. My kids just got uh, uh, accepted into the Harvard of Israel or whatever it is, and things are going great. Things, how, could, how could God possibly uh, you know, really be coming in judgment? That's not, what, that's not what four of the other 
pastors in town are saying. Because remember, there was many false prophets in the days of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so many of them were telling them, you know, they, you know, they would hear Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. Ezekiel's over in Babylon. But they might hear Jeremiah say, judgment is coming. And then uh, they would turn around and, and talk to three or four other religious leaders and say, Jeremiah says, judgment's coming. What say you? Jeremiah's a nut job. He doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. He's always, he's very, he's very, very negative, Jeremiah. Uh, he's, he doesn't have any kind of uplifting messages. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything to improve your bank portfolio. He's not making you feel better about yourself. Uh, none of these things that Jeremiah says are ever going to help your self-esteem, so you really need to just stop listening to Jeremiah, which people did. And now for, for Ezekiel, well, he's over with the captives in Babylon saying similar things, doing, you know, the Lord gives him these demonstrations, if you will, some of them living sermons as opposed to verbally, and really kind of proclaiming that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed and plenty of people didn't believe him either. So the fire that could have been cleansing wasn't. It was now going to be for judgment. Matthew Henry says the fire on God's altar where atonement was made had been slighted. It had been slighted. And now that same fire, God would bring it down from heaven. Now we see here that the Lord would now uh, remove himself. What he begins to see in verse 4, the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple. The house was filled with a cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. What uh, Ezekiel begins to see is he starts to see that the Lord himself is beginning to be on the move, moving away from the Holy of Holies, moving away from uh, the inner court. And his glory, his matchless glory, which Israel had rejected, instead would be inviting the passing glory of the Babylonian Empire to come in. Now, all the ancient empires, in, in some sense, had their moment of glory. We talk about this in sports. Those of you that like sports, as I do, you know, um, you know, today I saw that Spain lost in the World Cup again. So they're 0-2, they're out. They're the reigning champs. They had one of the best runs in World Cup history, winning the Euro Cup and then winning uh, the World Cup. And so they had a season or a moment of glory. And empires have moments of glory. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the British Empire, the Mongolian Empire, all of these, they had their times. But Israel, they actually had the glory of the Lord, but didn't know that not only would they be trading away the glory of the Lord, but the glory of Babylon was not just going to come in and be among them, but it was going to come in and kill them and oppress them. The things that people worship will eventually be the very things that they'll be underneath of. We want to look at what he begins to uh, describe, but we're going to look at it from a little different angle. Rather than re-describe for you all the uh, elements and attributes of the angels that he sees, the cherubim. And again, you can go back on the website 
and listen to chapter 1 if you're interested uh, in the details uh, that we discussed with the angels. But verses 5 all the way down to uh, verse 17, for example, uh, all through here he redescribes what he sees and these wheels within a wheel. One thing that is noteworthy here, if you're taking notes, if we'll look at now the fortress. Um, when he does say, uh, as for the wheels, they were called in my hearing, wheel. The one point that I want to uh, make about the angels and what he sees here is the singular nature of all God's complex workings. It's the same way with us. We are a bunch of sinners saved by grace from different backgrounds, different skills. Some people in the body of Christ aren't even working, at least in a coordinated way, uh, with other believers, and yet God has it working all beautifully, intricately together as one church. Singular. Even with multiple churches. I had lunch today with a, with a pastor um, uh, that's not a Calvary Chapel pastor. And, uh, you know, it's a church in Goochland and loves the Lord. And it's interesting when we talk about the things that they're doing and the things that we're doing, that we are wheels inside of a wheel, inside of a wheel, all working together. And yet the Lord would call us just one, the church, unified in the body of Christ. All of God's servants, when they're yielded, are going to work in harmony, even though there's many complex moving parts. Well, especially the angelic realm, because the angels themselves, the ones that never followed after Lucifer, they've never stopped serving the Lord. And they have, each of them, very distinct roles working perfectly together, and so he sees that all of this complexity, all of this glory, all of this brightness, all of this majesty is singular. But all of this glory, all of this power, all of this majesty, at the same time that he sees what he's really seeing, it's a war machine. That's what he's seeing. See, God's glory can be it can take any form that he... He can be a lamb or a lion, and he's both. We need a lamb for salvation. But if God takes the form of lion, you want to be on his side, not the lion coming to you or against you. And Israel had the opportunity to worship the glory of the Lord, but instead, the glory of the Lord is now opposed against them. The angels with their battle axes we saw in the previous chapter, all of this glory is going to set up against Israel, squarely against Israel. Turn uh, another place I want to take a look at for just a second. Psalm chapter 18. Take a left-hand turn. Go to Psalm 18. I think this will begin to come clear why I would look at what he's seen which would be in the invisible realm the angelic forces, the glory of God 
this war machine from heaven coming down to pronounce judgment. Notice that the war machine is not opposed to Ezekiel or the people in the previous chapter that were marked. They have the Lord at their back. The wind is at their back. The others, it's coming towards them, against them. And at the same time, it's kind of, you've got two things happening at the same time. You've got God bringing down power against coals being scattered, and yet you have the glory exiting. How do you figure all that out? You don't. You just know that the Lord's ways are so much higher than ours. But look what David describes in Psalm 18. Starting with verse 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my what? Fortress. My God and my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Israel had a lot of enemies. This time David had enemies, uh, but his enemy was actually Saul at this time. Look in verse 6. I, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to my ears. Then the earth shook and, the, uh, and trembled, and the foundation of the hills uh, also quaked and were shaken. Look at verse 8. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, coals were kindled by it. David's seen some of the same kind of imagery. Uh, we don't know what vantage point he's seen it, but he's seen some of the same type things. He bowed down the heavens and came down. We see Ezekiel has seen uh, God in his power and his glory come down to where he's at, down to where the temple sat in Jerusalem. With darkness under his feet, he rode upon what? A cherub. And flew, and flew upon the wings of the wind. Look at the verse 12. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds that we already saw. Ezekiel saw the bright, thick clouds. All of these things, very similar. Passed with hailstones, and there it is again. Coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. Now David, why I'm pointing this out is, David sees some portion of the Lord's glory either in a vision or God describes it to him. What he sees is very similar to some of the things Isaiah saw, some of the things Ezekiel saw. He comprehends the coals of fire, the cherubim. He comprehends the power, the brightness of the clouds. But he sees all this and he says, the Lord is my fortress. You and I see God's power and wonder, and we're not afraid because we know he's on our side. You know, we see the massive expanse of the universe, and we know he holds it in our hand. We know there's not Klingons out there and stormtroopers and all kinds of, you know, alien things that Hollywood writes about. We know God holds the whole thing in his hand. We know the whole universe is to display his majesty and power, so we would stop thinking that we're God and instead get on our face and call upon the Lord, our strong tower and our fortress. Israel and Judah. They had always looked at the city of Jerusalem itself, God's holy city, Zion, 
They had looked at the city, and you know, we've been to Jerusalem, and it sits up on that hill, and you feel the wind hit it, and you've got the views in different directions, and what a fortress city it is. But they had always looked at the city itself as a fortress. They looked at the temple, Solomon's beautiful temple, built by David's son, David, Solomon, David, Solomon, two great kings, the world-renowned uh, kings. They looked at the temple built by Solomon as proof of their protected or their preferred status. By the way, a lot of Americans still think of themselves as protected or preferred status. God bless America bumper stickers. You know, all the, we, we have Star Spangled Banner. We have this. All of those things are great if we really are serving the Lord. We have in God we trust in our dollar bill. That's great if we actually trusted God, but we actually trust the dollar, not the in God we trust. But even in Jesus' day, remember, they swore by the temple. Now, this was Herod's temple. This would be when the temple's rebuilt. But nevertheless, the same attraction would come back that they would actually worship a building, not the God in the building. The people, they looked at what they could see with their eyes as their protection. The scriptures tell us we don't walk by sight. We walk by what? Faith. What you can see is not actually what protects you. You could be armed the teeth and have no protection whatsoever. Goliath was armed the teeth. He had one weak spot, about this big around. You might think, well, David's an expert. I think the Lord directed that rock, don't you? David was uh, great with weapons, but this throw wasn't David. Goliath, armed to the teeth, there's only one spot you can get him, nailed it. People looked at what they could see as their protection. But if you go back to what the Lord told Moses at the burning bush, what did the Lord tell Moses at Exodus 3, 5? Take your sandals off your feet. The place you stand is holy ground. Moses had walked on that place many times before. Why was it all of a sudden holy? Because God was there. The ground had nothing to do with it being holy. It was the God who was now on the ground. Wherever God says is holy, is holy. Wherever God shows up and manifests his glory, becomes holy because he makes it holy. It's his presence that made the holy of holies holy. It's his presence that makes a fortress safe and impenetrable. Jerusalem is not impenetrable unless the Lord is the fortress. Unless, as David said in Psalm 18, you are my strong tower. You are my fortress. Some of you probably know the hymn written by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress. I'm going to read you stanzas one and two. Listen to, listen to the words he wrote so long ago. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood, our mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. He's talking about Satan here. And armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Isn't that true? People are no match for Satan. 
People that say, I can play around with uh, sin and witchcraft or this or that or immorality and it won't harm. No, Satan is, no person is a match for the enemy. But listen to what he goes on to say in stanza two. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? That was Israel's problem. They believed in their own strength, which was a losing proposition. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. The Lord doesn't God is undefeated in battle. Never been defeated. Israel defeated many times, and yet they had the God of Israel. He was for them, and yet they would turn and be opposed to them. And then they trusted in the fortress of stone walls when really in the, in the temple itself, and the Lord's like, I'm the temple, I'm the stone walls. And you guys are worshiping all these other things that I created. Look at the last thing in our last few minutes, the full departure. Go back to verse 4 for just a second. We talked a little bit about this last week. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple. The glory of the Lord resided, as we talked about, over the wings of the cherub, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Holy of Holies. The glory of the Lord begins to move in stages. Moves now to the threshold of the temple. And the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Uh, you know, Ezekiel, even though he was of the priesthood, remember, he was carried away into captivity. He never got to perform the priestly duties in the temple that he would have desired to. But even if he had, you know, the only one that goes into the Holy of Holies is the high priest, as I mentioned, once per year on the Day of Atonement. But he sees the glory of the Lord like a bright cloud and it fills the court there. But the Lord is moving away from the, uh, from the inner court. And then you look in verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. Now remember, there's a lot of cherubim going on here. You've got cherubim in the temple that are in the, are the Ark of the Covenant, but you've also got the cherubim that have come down and are part of the glory, and they are going wherever the Lord goes. So they're, they're the wheels within the wheels, and wherever the wheels go, the cherubim go. So the glory of the Lord lifts up from the threshold of the temple in verse 18. And look what it says in verse 19. The cherubim lift their wings. They mounted up from the earth in my sight. And they went out, and the wheels were beside them. They stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the, Lord, Lord, uh, the glory of the God of Israel was above them. Now they're at the exit of the whole temple. This is facing the Mount of Olives. They're at the east gate. The Lord, the angels there, the glory of the Lord there, and the Lord has been moving out of the temple and is now at the exit door. It'd be like, We've seen the glory of the Lord move through the building, and now it's at the exit door. Out. Well, we never want the glory of the Lord to go out the exit door, folks. 
we need more of the glory of the Lord, not the, not the Lord departing. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, um, on the day that Eli the priest died, um, his sons died as well that day, but his daughter-in-law, she was with child, and when she heard the news that both her husband had died and Eli, her father-in-law, had died, she began to give birth, and she would die in childbirth herself. It was a, it was a black day all the way around for Israel. She named her child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law, her husband. Uh, and she said, The glory has departed from Israel. The ark of God has been captured. She actually says it uh, two times in a row there. But when Israel doesn't have the presence of the Lord, then Israel doesn't have the protection of the Lord. Notice Eli dies, her husband dies, she dies, and she recognizes the pale of death, the pale of God's judgment coming, is directly related to the fact that the glory of the Lord has departed. And when the glory of the Lord departs, then the judgment of the Lord is about to come in. God is removing himself from the temple. Why? God's not going to destroy himself, but the temple is going to be destroyed as well. He's removing himself, and even the temple, which, which was beautiful, which was built for him, the Babylonian army is going to destroy the temple, and God is going to allow it to be torn up, because at this point, he's like, I'm not there anymore. I've vacated. Have at it. Take the gold. Take it to Babylon. Now, Eventually, he'll judge Babylon for all these things, too. God's an equal opportunity judge. Everyone will get exactly what they themselves have earned, even though everyone will get the same opportunity for mercy. Babylon would be used by him to destroy the very temple that he had uh, ordained and authorized to be built. Remember back in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, I love this, Moses speaking to the Lord. Moses said, if your present does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That is the mindset we need to have as a church. If the Lord isn't with us, we should not do a thing. If the Lord isn't in it, why do it? You want the Lord's presence in every ministry. You want the Lord's presence in the worship team. You want the Lord's presence in in children's ministry. You want the Lord's presence when we go into Bonaire on Sunday night. If the Lord doesn't go with us, we've got big problems, folks. Amen? And there's a lot of churches where the glory of God is not there, but they don't know it. You remember Samson? He had all this great power because the Holy Spirit would be upon him. But when it came time, that final time, when Delilah, who had so deceived him, he had, he had messed around with sin for so long, and he really didn't understand the Spirit of the Lord had left him. The cutting off the hair was symbolic that the Spirit of the Lord, but he didn't even know. He didn't know his hair was gone, but he also didn't know the Spirit was gone. So he rose up like he would any other time. I'm just going to go take, 
you know, uh, knock a few people around and take a few names. But instead, they gouged out his eyes and put him at a mill. He's grinding at the millstone. He had no idea. And I think that uh, the same risk is to us in the body of Christ today. We start to follow the methods of man. We're not following the Lord. We're not following the Scriptures. We're not preaching from the Word of God anymore. We're just preaching things that just, well, this is going to lift people's spirits and, and uh, uh, this is going to really help encourage uh, you know, people to uh, you know, be more successful in their businesses and, and all the... Yeah, God, I, I pray for some of those very things. I care about those things. I want you guys to be successful in your workplace and I want you to be blessed. But not at the expense that first and foremost, God says, holy holy, holy. That comes first. Seek ye first, Jesus said, the kingdom of God and all the other stuff will be added. In the body of Christ, what we've done today, and Jesus warns about this in the letters when he writes the churches, they've got it all flipped, just like Israel. We will pleasure ourselves, and if there's any time left, we'll fit God in. And when that comes, and that happens, and Samson was pleasuring himself, uh, and then when I need God, I'll just flip a switch. Hey, I need your help real quick here. But he's not around. He's vacated the building. And if you and I choose to say, Lord, continue to touch my lips with your burning coal. If we continue to say, Lord, I'm an unclean person. I live among unclean people. Keep me pure. Keep me holy. Help me care about lost souls. Help me care about discipling my kids. Help me that the glory of the Lord will not only remain with us, but it will radiate beyond what we are seeing today. I have no doubt that God will do far greater things than we've ever seen in this church and in your lives than you've ever seen if we stay close to the Lord. David, the Lord was his strong tower and deliverer. Ezekiel, he saw the glory of the Lord, but it wasn't coming for him in judgment. He actually was protected by the Lord. Jeremiah, protected by the Lord. The people, Mark, were either going to be for the Lord or against. Right? Joshua said, choose you this day who you'll serve. Amen? And the glory does not have to depart in our lives. The glory of the Lord, I don't know about you, but I hope it grows more and more and more in my life. That we should be able to fall more in love with the Lord and people see more of a radiant joy and peace in your life saying, you know, you used to be a really happy Christian. What happened? None of us want to be Ichabod. Not as not only is it not a cool name to have, <laughs> it's not a good thing for the glory of the Lord not to be resident in our lives. Amen? And in our lives, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time again tonight in your word. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would indeed cleanse us with your burning coal. Lord, even today, Lord, we know that we have failed you. We thank you for your grace. You're always willing, Lord, to put our sins on the altar and just consume them and yet not consume us. And we thank you, Lord, just like the burning bush. We are nothing but uh, a kind of an ugly bush. And yet, Lord, you want to descend and have the fire and the power and the brightness and the glory flowing through our lives. Not that we would be glorified, but that you would gain all the glory, all the honor, 
all the praise. Lord, I pray that the things that I was not able to convey, uh, either in teaching or in time, Lord, you would further convey. Lord, even as uh, we sleep, you'll continue to reveal truth to us, Lord, that goes into our inmost parts and transforms us into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. And we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, we will see you, Lord willing, Sunday morning, Luke chapter 7. I'm excited about getting back into the book of Luke. So uh, with that, and if you get in children's ministry, please stay with us right after the service Sunday. God bless you all. Have a good rest of the week.